Hi, my name is Olivia coach of the Flyers. Hi, this is Travis Sanheim. Hey, I'm Travis Konechny. Hi, I'm Paul Holmgren. Hi, I'm Matt Neskinen. Hey, I'm Scott Lawton. Hi, I'm Joel Fairby. Hi, this is Bob Clark. And you're listening to Snow the Goalie. 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 Oh, yes! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome in. To Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast, People's Podcast, Players Podcast, Prognosticators Podcast, Peter Light Podcast, Campers Podcast. The only Flyers podcast. I'm Russ Joy on Twitter at Joy on Broad. Of course, joined as always by the man, the myth, the legend, the, the, the real tree shaker, if you will, Anthony Sanfilippo, who you can find not only here on the show, but over on CrossingBroad.com, where he writes things that lead to phone calls, texts, and emails from the organization. That's Anthony Sanfilippo. Find him on Twitter at Ant Sanfilly. Of course, also on Instagram at Ant Sanfilly. And find the show at Snow the Goalie on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.com slash Snow the Goalie. Anthony! It's not like anything's going on, right? Nothing at all, Ross. But my favorite thing about that, you know, I just realized, and it never really dawned on me that you always introduced me as the man, the myth, the legend. But until you just said it, I was on another podcast as a guest and they introduced me as the man, the myth, the legend. And I thought, when you're just hearing you say it, I said, they're copying Russ. They're they absolutely copying Russ with the introduction. They are. they are. How about that? I listened I listened to the show. That was, that was high and wide. I was listening to them. Somebody said Anthony was on another Flyers podcast, not that there are any other ones. And I, 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 I have to point out, I'd be remiss if I didn't point out the fact that they're not a Flyers podcast. They are, of course, a... Um, uh, a positional podcast, high and wide. It's usually where the puck goes when most of the flyers shoot it. So that's good. That's good. We're making sure that we're keeping track of things. So a lot of things to get into in this episode. Um, the flyers are in free fall. The house is on fire. Um, Chuck Fletcher took out a couple of water guns, although needed water guns. So we're going to give him one of them was a super soaker and one was like the little water pistol. Um, we're going to get into that. We have to get into, of course, what uh, we have to, of course, get into some of the other things going on with this team, but we uh, were joined and we said that last week we were going to have two different guests coming on. And I said, I don't know if we're going to do it as one super show, or if we were going to have to split it up. So what happened was uh, we had one of the guests who you're about to hear from, Nick Kiprios, who uh, had to move our interview up a day, which ended up working out in our favor. And then the other person who you d- name dropped on the other show, um, I'm not going to put his name on the show yet because this will be the second time that we've tried to interview him. The first time something went down and he was unavailable to be on the show. And um, in theory, we're supposed to record with him tomorrow for next week's show. Now, we're not going to say the name. It is not Mike Keenan. But if he backs out or if he is unavailable, he's going to join what I am now dubbing the Mike Keenan possible interview guest wall. I'm going to come up with a better name. But for right now, I am announcing that we are naming the wall of people who are supposed to be on the show and then kind of did whatever. Um, we're we're going to just leave it at that. Why are you showing me your screen? I'm I showing you texting with him. I know all the text messages with him today. You've got his yeah. picture. Look at that. You've got his picture at the top. Okay. Yeah. All right. So just so you know that yeah. it, it, it's not me like throwing some BS at you, that there has been conversation back and forth. 
You need to turn your gain down on your mic, by the way. You're overloading that thing. Really? You know not, yeah, you know what's not overloaded, though? This team with talent and this team with guys that fit what a flyer is supposed to be. And nobody can put that into better words than Nick Kiprios, our guest on this episode. He of, what, 340-odd thousand followers on Twitter. He of having been you know, brought in uh, originally by the Flyers, never ended up playing a game for the Flyers. But we get into that. And we get into really what is at the crux of the issue with this team. Now, granted, there are a few things that we didn't touch on that in the interview that we are certainly going to touch on on the opposite uh, side of this interview. There are a few other things at play that we didn't get into with Kiprios that I think in some way, shape or form are, are worth mentioning about why this team is the way it is, why the season has gone down the way it has, and ultimately what needs to be done to rectify it. And it's not as simple as just a couple of little trades. Yeah, yeah. and just, just so everybody knows, we were limited on time uh, with yeah. Kipper. I mean, yeah, originally he only he told us only 15 minutes. I think we got 25 out of him. Um, but he yeah. had to go do um, another. He had, he had something else lined up, like literally two minutes after he signed off with us. Yeah, he had another <laughs> national. He had a national show to go to. And we're like, yeah, 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 it's fine. It's fine. We're just going to hold you for an extra 10, 12. It's, it's, yes. it's cool. Why does what, that do what that? What are you Why doing? does that do that? What are you doing? I'm scrolling through. So we're sitting I, here. We're sitting this here is trying to do a show. This is technology. And I'm actually, I know you think I'm, I'm really bad with technology, but I'm not. I'm not great with it, but I'm not really bad with it. I'm actually one of those people kind of middle of the road, right? So I'm sitting here and I, I literally just wanted to pull up our episode list for Snow the Goalie. I just wanted to pull up the episode list just for yeah. a second. So I clicked on my library and literally as I clicked on the library, it just started our last episode with the totally uh, advertisement that's at the beginning of the episode. Totally just fine. auto played it like for no reason. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm like. glad that it happened. Well, I'm sorry. It's OK. <laughs> so this is brought to you by what we like to call those in their best years. Yes, of course. Anthony Sanfilippo is in his best years. How many of them? doesn't really matter. Now, listen, we're going to get into this. And like I said before, Kiprios interview, there's good stuff in here. There are good nuggets. If you're on Twitter, you saw one of them, but there are plenty more. And on the opposite side, on the back side of that interview, we have to get into the nitty gritty of what has happened with this team. So without further ado, here is Nick Kiprios. Oh, yes, ladies and gentlemen, welcome into Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast, the People's Podcast, the Players Podcast, Prognosticators Podcast. PLA podcast, Pampers podcast. We called it the Pronger cast. We called it the canoe cast, the, the prop cast. But we have never before had this man on. We've been looking forward to having him on the show for a while. You can hear the small children in the background. They're welcoming him in. I guess we can now call it the Kipper cast. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> none other than Nick Kiprios. Thank you for joining the show. Russ, that was really good, by the way. Yeah. Really good. It brought back memories of growing up uh, and listening to 1050 Chum. Uh, in, in the early seventies, you guys weren't around, but that was pretty cool. <laughs> 1050 chub. That's fantastic. I appreciate that. You know, I'm going to, I think I might just log off for the rest of the, uh, the interview. <laughs> Thank you so much. Everybody have a great day. Oh, that's great. Well, well, Kipper, we really appreciate you hopping on. Um, you know, uh, you, you were such a staple at Sportsnet for, for more than two decades up in Canada. Uh, for those of us who followed hockey for that long, uh, always knew that you were uh, both an entertaining uh, figure and, and a good and had really great insight and always felt like you, you really had your finger on the pulse of the Philadelphia Flyers, the, the team that gave you your, your start. 
uh, way back when. Play, you never played for the Flyers, but you played for the Hershey Bears yes. uh, in the late 80s, right? So I, I loved it, Anthony. Yeah. I loved every second of being a part of the Philadelphia Flyer uh, family. My only regret when I look back at my career, and I really don't have a lot, to be honest with you, because it's really shaped uh, and, and formed my life, was that I never got to don the Philadelphia Flyer uh, uniform in a regular season game. I had built it up for five years in that organization and mm -hmm. was fortunate to win a, a Calder Cup in Hershey. Uh, but I uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, got picked up uh, at, uh, in my sixth year of, uh, of giving it a crack with the Washington Capitals. And as, as they say, the rest is history. But I'll always look back at hanging out with the likes of Tim Kerr, Dave Pula, and Rick Tockett. Peter Zezel, the late Peter Zezel, yeah. and all those memories of uh, training camps and coming oh so close to being a flyer. <laughs> well, hey, look, it, it worked out pretty well for you. you. Ended up on one of the most memorable Stanley Cup championship teams in in our lifetime with the '94 Rangers, right? So, yeah, uh, turns out to be turned out to be really good for you. Um, and, and before we dive into the Flyers, and a couple other things that I know that you've that you've been uh, doing here. First of all, you wrote a book. I did. You know, that's that's some good stuff. Um, uh, undrafted hockey yeah. family and what it takes to be a pro. Uh, t tell me a little bit about that. How did that come about? Well, uh, I just finished uh, making my announcement that uh, after 21 years at uh, at, at Sportsnet, uh, we were going to kind of go our separate ways. And I got pitched early uh, to write a book. Uh, Perry Lefko and, and Simon and Schuster uh, approached me to kind of put down, you know, a story of my life generally uh, and and because I have two careers, uh, one obviously as a player and the other one in the broadcasting world, it kind of gave me a, gave the readers a unique perspective of, of, of two major careers and, uh, growing up, uh, in my family, uh, immigrant parents coming over at a young age and trying to make a, a new life for themselves and, and the opportunities that I was benefited because of that. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. I, I, I big story in my book, uh, and please go out and, and pick it up at, uh, chapters indigo, whatever, uh, you know, on the internet, it's available. A big story is my first training camp with the Philadelphia flyers and finding myself, uh, in Bobby Clark's office, uh, as an unrestricted, uh, free agent, uh, who was invited to a tryout, didn't even go to training camp with a, an agent, didn't even have one. Didn't really know for sure if I needed one. That's how kind of innocent it, it was all back then and today that would never happen we right. know that the kids today are groomed and uh at a much earlier age uh but uh yeah no no agent and then bobby clark offered me a contract and i'm like okay where do i sign basically <laughs> wow i was I, I was i was sitting down willing to pay you yeah. to get my name on a contract right that's pretty awesome but, and, and yeah. the other the other um vent business venture you got going on is this little buddha cocktail company that you got uh now we haven't had an opportunity to try it because you're not down here in the u.s yet you're just all across canada yeah uh, but it's like it's like a vodka cocktail i know you got like a peach tea flavor and like a yeah wow you're rosemary. good that's oh, i looked it up i did research <laughs> Anthony and Russ, Listen, man, if, you guys are, if, as soon as if, it comes if, south of the border, uh, you guys are my two top spokespeople. <laughs> there we go. Uh, but, you know, I wanted to take every, uh, every life lesson I learned out of sports, hockey, mm -hmm. and, and put it into something I've never done before. And I was fortunate enough with my wife and, and uh, another uh, uh, good friends of ours to partner up 
And we started something that we really knew nothing about. So we go to the internet and we start Googling how to order cans, uh, how to flavor houses, all of it. And it's been an incredible experience. We were able to get into LCBO here in Ontario. They're one of the biggest buyers in the world. And we were able to sell uh, over 25,000 cases. Uh, so we, we brought out a second flavor, peach tea. So we'll get it going up here in, in Ontario, in Canada here. And then the moment we come south, I'm calling you guys. All stop, man. We'll, we'll, we'll promote the am heck I, out of it. Am I seeing the, the here phone. correctly that this is a, this is a keto friendly drink? It, it, we, we checked all the boxes, especially at my That's what we like. Listen, if there is, we're not just the only Flyers podcast, but we also happen to be the only keto friendly podcast for consumers. So uh, keto friendly, right, yeah, this 100%. Right. <laughs> so no sugar. Uh, I want to expect less from calories. you. No sugar, right? <laughs> no sugar under 109, uh, under 90 calories, gluten-free, uh, keto friendly, no preservatives, uh, wow. all natural. So that's awesome. We drink, we drink mindfully with a little Buddha. <laughs> that's good stuff. That's good stuff. And of course, uh, we like, like, uh, we said at the top, um, real Kipper podcast at noon, uh, the live YouTube podcast that you got going on uh, and you, and, uh, that's on the live movement sports, uh, yeah. Line movement.com. Yeah. Live movement.com. Uh, our show runs Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. I'm along with Doug McLean, Doug McLean, of course, a tw- a uh, 20-year veteran uh, executive with yeah. uh, Columbus, uh, coached Detroit, took Florida to the finals. He runs Shotgun with me, and we just have some fun. So we created something at Sportsnet called Hockey Central at noon, and it was very popular. It simulcasted on the NHL network, and basically we kind of created that uh, digitally uh, and- now on the internet. So it's uh, on YouTube. So yeah. please, all of you, uh, go find realkipper.com. Uh, uh, Real Kipper at noon on uh, on my YouTube channel and linemovement.com. Subscribe. We'd love to bring you on board. That's so, awesome. That's thank awesome. You guys. I, I would bet that it would be five days a week if if uh, Mac didn't have to golf. Tuesdays and Thursdays, <laughs> yeah, <right>? golf. <laughs> That's right. Take the RV out, go to the beach, play pickleball. Pickleball. That's a new thing he keeps talking about, pickleball. Oh, that's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, let's, let's get into the Flyers a little bit, uh, Kipper, because sure. this team this year, man, uh, you know, I think we all thought here in Philadelphia that this was going to be a really exciting year for this team. And they've turned out to be pr- maybe the biggest disappointment in the NHL, arguably. Um, you know, from, your, from your perspective, you know, yeah. th- you know up, in, up in Canada, what do you think went wrong for this team? Well, I think... If you ask me what, what has gone wrong up until this point is that uh, it was just not the mix is off with this team and whether it's, you know, between the veterans and the young players, there just doesn't seem to be a, a smooth, cohesive feel of this team coming together. And I think at this point, Chuck Fletcher and the whole organization would know right now that the mix is not right. It's off and there's no, um, secret trade uh that can pull off what probably needs to get get done within the next you know year it's going to take some time uh for them to get some bodies out uh make some major changes and and start building they've got some great pieces and you know we've we've had many discussions on on real kipper at noon over this and you know a lot's been made out lately of of players in the dress room, not seeing eye to eye on that. And listen, there's a, there's a level of frustration on every team every year. If, if you're not winning, 
So whether or not the expectations are there for a Stanley Cup, maybe like the Flyer fans wanted this year, or a team that's starting to starting to dig themselves out of whatever hole they've been the last few years. When you don't win, it's not smooth sailing in any dressing room. So don't think for one second that this is uncommon, uh, that uh, this doesn't this shouldn't happen to the Philadelphia Flyers. When you don't win and the bar is set really high and unfortunately you don't raise it, uh, there's going to be a level of frustration and that's what's happened to the Philadelphia Flyers. Now it's up to management to regroup and figure out uh, who's part of the uh, solution and where we need to make changes. Go ahead, Ross. I see you're, you're ready to hit the mic there. So when you talk about mass, or about, about changes, about meaningful changes, you know, obviously the first thing that, that anybody in the city is going to do, uh, we have, you know, the, the small but vocal group that say, strip the C off of Giroux's sweater and give it to anyone else, which is preposterous. But let's move beyond that, right? Because yeah, that 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 for me doesn't solve anything. Whether or yeah. not he's got a letter on his jersey at the end of the day, we know he's he's in that room and he's he's still going to be the leader. He's still going to be yep. mm-hmm. a top dog in there. So it's that, that's that's no answer if if you ask me. The answer is that has it been exhausted be- between you know Claude Giroux and Voracek and and whoever else you feel like it's time to move on off of. And that's, that's essentially what happens. You get only so many cracks at this. And then after that, you got to start moving on. San Jose was a wonderful example for many, many years. That was Joe Thornton's team and Marlowe. And then you, you run out of time. Either these guys get a little long on the tooth or you, you, you've just exhausted it to the point where you, you try to just say, Hey, thank you very much. It was, it was a good run. We came close a couple of times, but now it's time to move on. That's where I think the Flyers are when it comes to Claude Giroux and, and uh, uh, Jacob Borchek. Well, the number one name, I think, that, that really does come up is a, how realistic is this? Because everybody starts to look forward to the expansion draft. And one of the names that I think we had originally bantered about prior to the season was the possibility that maybe like a James Van Riemsdyk, if he redeems himself on ice, if, he, if the production jumps up, then maybe Seattle could theoretically take a look at that $7 million cap hit and say, a goal scorer is a goal scorer. The return on investment might still be there in a couple of years. Voracek seems to be the number one name that, that people talk about in not only the culture change that might be necessary, but how realistic from the macro perspective, because you're obviously more plugged in national, internationally than we are, but how realistic of a, of a chance is there that a Seattle in an expansion draft could even look at taking on the kind of cap hit that Jake Voracek brings with him? Sure, there's skill, but that's... That's a pretty big chunk of change. Yeah, it is, but it's only one more year, guys, right? So Vorchek's a couple years. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, Vorchek's two years. Yeah, Uh, Claude Giroux's one more year. Correct. Yeah, those aren't huge, huge uh, concerns for Seattle if they can come in and and add some credibility. And depending on how aggressive Seattle wants to be here, do they want to come out of the gate like Las Vegas did and and be a contender right away? Uh, At the end of the day these guys aren't committed to five or six years and and are owed 50 or $60 million. So, you know, six, seven, eight, I don't think it's that big of a deal because they won't essentially, I think be a a cap team to begin with. Anyways, you're going to need some star power. You're going to need some, some skill, high end skill. So, you know, Vorchik costs you $16 million the next two years. It's, it's not crazy, but 
there, there could be other avenues as well. I look at, I look at Calgary guys with the Philadelphia Flyers and they mirror each other, mm-hmm. completely mirror each other where outside of knowing who your goalie is going to be for the next three or four years, right? Between Markstrom and, and Carter Hart, after that, you're, you you got some major uh, de- decisions to make on your blue line and all 12, you know, 14 of your forwards in terms of who are the next guys that are going to lead. But uh, Johnny Hockey, Johnny Goodrow, and Sean Monaghan aren't in much of a different uh, scenario than uh, Claude Giroux and, and Voracek. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a big believer of making a change just for the sake of a change, but even if you were to flip Johnny Hockey with Jacob um, for – for uh, and you know, Jake Voracek makes probably two more a uh, million and a half more uh, on his contract, uh, but you know, throw in a few other pieces, and, and maybe that's just a a, a chain that kind of can can show that you're you're moving the energy in a different direction. So th- there there's some options out there, I think, for Chuck. Yeah, and and you know, Gaudreau would. I mean, everybody would love bringing him here because he's a local kid, right, from South Jersey. So I mean, they would they would love. Uh, to bring- he. Yeah, he'd, he'd, he'd be an instant star. He'd ride his bike there, <laughs> let alone drive his car right away. Exactly, exactly. Um, obviously, I mean, you know, there needs to be that that change there, you know, with with that core group. Um, but also this year, Kipper, the, the, a lot of the young players really just took a step backwards. When you look at this at this team, they just never came, you know, never got it going again. I mean, even on defense, I mean, Provorov was not the Provorov of last well, year and Sanheim and Myers took a step back. Well, they did. They took a step back. They did take a step back, but they, they they're taking a step back because the step forward was too big and gotcha. they just, they put too much on them and Myers comes in and signs a big contract, but he's not ready. He's just not ready to be a, a two or three just yet. They're not ready. Provorov is not a legitimate number one defenseman. And I'm not sure if he'll ever truly be, a true number one or a one a, um, but there is something to be said, you know, um, that they, 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 they took a step back. He's took a step back. Niskanen kind of protected him. It would be great if they could get, you know, uh, a David Savard in unrestricted free agency to maybe play off of a pro Rob. It'll be amazing how much better he'll get. Um, but there's a lot of things in terms of some of these players that you're just, you're not sure. And there's some nights when some guys can look like top six players and there are other nights they're, they're between eight and 12. And the, the second line sometimes doesn't look any much different than the third or the fourth line. And it's just because some of these players, you're just not sure where they are, where they're going to be slotted and, and how, how they're going to look, you know, connect, Connect me is a, is a perfect example there where, you know, there's some nights you're sitting there going, he could be a really good player, you know, Gallagher type, you know, we know the flyers and, you know, I, I want to get into this a little bit with you guys, but you need still, it's the Philadelphia flyers, man. And I lived and breathed it trying to crack that mold and of what a flyer is. And you mentioned James Van Riemsdyk. I like James. But James has to be one of those guys that kind of just fits in. And then there's a lot of guys plowing, right? Mm-hmm. And he can come in behind the plow 
But you're the Philadelphia Flyers, man. You need plowers. You need guys to go through people. You need a Brad Marchand. And I know hey, who wouldn't want one. Right. But that's the flyer that you've been missing for longer than a decade. Mm-hmm. Come on. It's still there. It still matters. Fine. This team has just been soft for a very long time. And yeah. there's no one scared to play this team. Bring some of that back. You're paid a lot of money in the managerial role to go and find guys that can battle in a flyer way in the year 2021. We're not sell- telling you to go back to the broad street bullies because we know what happens to some of those guys today. Right. They don't end up suspended, man. They'll end up in jail. So, <laughs> so, but you're the flyers. You got to start finding ways. And James Van Rinda is not a typical flyer. And that's not to say he can't play for the flyers, but he can't play for the flyers the way the flyers are today. It just, right. It, it's, it's not, it's not 7 million well spent. No, definitely. Definitely not. Um, you know, who's been in a little bit of a, a, a little bit, a lot of bit of an enigma is Nolan Patrick. You know, do you look at this pick and just sit there and say, man, they, they really missed the boat. Well, on not taking like Heisken in or, or Makar yeah. right behind them or, or, or is, or is it just a kid that needs a little bit more time to develop? Hindsight, hindsight, right guys, come on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Everybody's done it either at their first overall pick uh, in some years or anybody else in between those picks. Why did he go in the seventh when we could have had him in the sixth, whatever the case is. But today uh, he's, he's, he struggles uh, the confidence you're not sure if he was ever going to come in and be a, a point of game guy, or was he going to find himself on a, on a second line or, or right now it looks like he's, he's struggling to, you know, show that he can be a consistent everyday NHL player. So factor in the, the injuries, uh, he's got to get his confidence back before you can be in a position to really assess what he's going to be from here on in. I, I don't know in a pandemic, uh, the sample size that we've had still, they're not totally giving up on him, but, uh, I know that they were, they were throwing out, uh, his name out like, like many, when you struggle with a team like this, uh, it's, it's only common that you'd want to see what kind of interest there is out there, but I, it's not just the flyers, but there's a lot of teams that, uh, aren't sure on his health right now. And, and they're going to want to see, they're going to want to see a little bit more out of him as a flyer to, to assess what even his value is today. One more player I want to ask you about before we kind of look ahead. Carter Hart. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just, you know, obviously there was a little bit of a confidence issue there. He even admitted it himself. But how when you watch these games and you look at the hot, you know, look at the replays of the goals that he's allowing. Yeah. How much do you really put on the goalie and how much do you put on, man, the team in front of him just has not played well. Yeah, I, I, I think you can split that 50-50. Okay. I really do. And we've seen the level that he's reached. And what is he, 22 guys? Yeah, he's 22. Come on. You know what they talk about goalies when they yeah. peak or when they're ready mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually? 27. Yeah. Right? So certainly uh, you're, you're going to work with him to get his game back. Uh, but he, he when, when I watch him now and I see uh, a guy at, at his top of his game, he's confident. He plays his angles. He's athletic. But right now, there's a lot going on in his head. And when you see the lack of uh, consistency and the lack of uh, trust in front of you, 
then I, I think any goalie would be fairly vulnerable. But uh, there, there's a lot of time for Carter Hart to work this out. I even suggested that he goes down to the Phantoms to, to play uh, for a week and have some fun. Uh, <laughs> you know, the year before we won the Cup in, in New York, some guy named Mike Richter went down to the minors for five games just to get his game going again and ended up winning a Stanley Cup uh, a year later. So, you know, and he was, I think, 24 mm-hmm. and uh, and probably had 100 games under his belt, much like Carter. Now, if, if management thought that that would be too embarrassing for him at this point, that's legit. But I, I wouldn't have sold it that way at all. I would have said, Carter, we're having so many issues up here, man. Go down, have some fun, and uh, and we'll straighten this out. Um, with that all said, it, it, you know when you think about how much the Flyers are going to have to kind of f- fix this, and like you said, it's not going to be something that's gonna, that Chuck's going to be able to do overnight. It, does it worry you a little bit that you know Elaine Vino is the kind of coach who's a win now coach? And that maybe taking another two to three seasons, it might not well, mesh up here. This is this is the, this is the NHL now in a flat right. cap. I don't think anybody needs four or five years anymore. I don't, uh, and I think Elaine is a good coach. I think that uh, in a pandemic uh, with this condensed schedule, lack of practice, and he he loves his practices, guys. He likes his 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 structure in a practice. I just don't think that he's, he's had ample time to kind of instill that either. So I think, I think Elaine would be fine with it. I, I think, you know, you, you look down and there's some, some pieces that you still like, and you know, there's value out there. And if you can flip it a little bit and, you know, start gaining confidence in everybody, including uh, the most important guy in Carter work, work from the net on out. I think the Flyers will be fine. It's just write the season off. That's all. So let me put you in an uncomfortable position. Oh, no. uh, all right. And then I got to go. This... I got to go do Tim and Sid yeah. here, guys. <laughs> oh, no, no. Sid's gone now. Tim and friends. All right. The, um, the way that this team looks going forward. So the belief here is that Elaine Vigneault in theory could turn this thing around. The architect of that team hasn't really done much in the way of making a lot of fundamental changes, seems to have misevaluated or maybe um, put too much onus on the young players, maybe didn't evaluate his young talent the way that, uh, like at at the skill level that they might have had, right? He might have misevaluated that. If this team doesn't turn it around in a year, if we're having the same conversation a year from now after some things have been changed, which guy are you more likely to keep beyond next year? Do you keep the coach that is likely a Hall of Fame coach, or do you keep the architect of the team who, if we're in the same position next next year, yeah, you might have to question the guy who bought wow. all the groceries, maybe not the chef who's cooking them, right? Yeah. It's, um, it's very seldom, guys, that you see a general manager fired and, and a new one comes in and keeps a, the same coach. But Elaine's a veteran, one of the – winning his coasters in history. I mean, that's, uh, that's all obviously up, up to a general manager that comes in, but you know, Chuck's Chuck's going to have a very interesting off season here. And there's no question that he cannot go into October. Hopefully we play in, in October and the building's full, but he, he cannot have a, a look like this. So it's, 
it won't even get to Alain Vigneault in terms of the pressure that will that Chuck will see as early as uh, uh, July and August here. Alain's going to have a different look. He has to have a different look. And that's not on Alain. That's on Chuck. Awesome. Well, Kipper, we really appreciate your time. Once again, make sure you check out uh, Real Kipper at Noon on YouTube as part of the uh, livemovement.com sports gambling site. Uh, Pick up the book, Undrafted Hockey Family and What It Takes to Be a Pro. And then uh, we'll let you know when the Little Buddha Cocktail Company comes down to the U.S. Uh, But for our friends up in Canada who are Flyers fans who listen to the show, definitely make sure you grab uh, one or two of those cocktails and let us know how they are. Uh, I'm sure sure they're fantastic. Kipper, really appreciate you taking the time tonight. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is Nick Kiprios. A big thank you to him. And uh, Anthony, I don't know about you, but anytime somebody says to me, hey, I'm going to send you some free bubbly, I'm very excited. (laughs) I love it, man. Listen, we need to open the border. If the border opens, I'm planning on taking the family up to Canada in the summer. My, My kids have seen, I don't know if you've seen the Curse of Oak Island, but like they it's this thing on History Channel. They're trying to find this this treasure. They're like digging these giant boreholes. And my kids want to go look for treasure on Oak Island. I don't think they understand how this works. And I'm pretty sure that the middle child might fall in a borehole to his death. Hopefully not. But they really want to go up and find treasure. So if I cross into Canada, I'm going to try to find a little Buddha. I'm excited about it. But if nothing else, I look forward to Nick sending us some little Buddha. All right. You, you, biggest... know, gonna, you know, I guarantee you that as soon as we find out that that um, that beverage is coming down into the U.S. I don't care if it's just crossing from Ontario, like just over the border into like Buffalo, New York. We will make sure we get some shipped shipped here and then we'll give it like a nice little review on the show. Well, and and I want to point out, by the way, because there have been a few people who have reached out in the past. Um, they saw no pucks given when we did that last year, when we were doing the food reviews of the food at Wells Fargo Center. And I have had a few people that have reached out um, over the last few months about us reviewing products. Now, I, as shameless as it might be, we don't need to get paid. If you want to pay us in products, if you have a food or a beverage, if you are associated with it and you want us to review it, I have no problem. If you want to send us free stuff, we will gladly, gladly review it on the show. We can make that a segment at the end. I have no problem. The Snow the Goalie product reviews. I don't care. I'm all about it. If you, by the way, it could be still be no pucks given. By the way, if you own a local restaurant or bar, you reach out to us. Reach out. Anthony and I are always up for eating. That we are. All right. (laughs) Let's talk about the Kiprios interview. There's one thing that I think stands out in that uh, above all else. He mentions with the James Van Riemsdyk portion that JVR is a guy who needs to be behind plows, that there have to be guys plowing in front. And then the, the thing that I think is maybe the most pertinent is that he mentions that he's not advocating for going back to the Broad Street Bullies day, right? Because that's typically the thing that, that when you talk to people who are like more of the new age hockey fan who say, well, you should have four skilled lines. You don't need the old school Broad Street Bullies, especially like the, the mucker grinder fourth line. He's not saying that, but he, he did give examples of guys that in theory, and it wasn't just in that one little snippet that we put out on social, but like about other guys that if you can find a player who fits that mold are a flyer type player. And that James Van Reems like maybe isn't that kind of guy. Ultimately, the thing that stands out the most, I think, is that he said something that we've been saying for quite some time, which is that 
this mix, this roster, this group in its current state does not work. Yeah, it doesn't. And, um, you know, there's some more that, you know, if you go, if you watch his show, um, the real Kipper at noon uh, on YouTube, um, he last week had an episode uh, where um, he basically said that there's a rift in the locker room um, yeah. and he didn't get into it. He didn't give specifics, but, you know, other than saying it's between younger players and older players. Um, again, no specifics, no diving into it. Um, since that came out, I've been trying my darndest uh, to get to the bottom of it. Um, I, I, I've gotten a few breadcrumbs, but nothing that I can report just yet. Uh, but there is, there does seem to be some truth to it. Um, that there is, you know, players not seeing eye to eye. And I don't necessarily know if it's players don't see eye to eye because the, you know, coaches have a shorter leash with some guys than with others. And so therefore they harbor that as a little bit of a resentment or if it's, um, that certain players feel that they can get away with playing a certain way and, and not, uh, and, you know, and not the way everybody else has to play. Um, you know, we had, we've had this conversation before where, you know, we talked about Voracek kind of being a guy that is a little bit more of a um, improviser, shall we say, um, with the, with the system. Um, and we even had, you know, we even heard Vino I, told, told us specifically, directly, um, that he had this conversation with Jake and where he said, okay, listen, you can, you can do your thing in the offensive end, but it's non-negotiable how you come back and play in your own end. Um, and I think it's kind of along those lines where, you know, Jake is, a, Jake is afforded because of his skill and his ability, his puck control, uh, a little bit more leeway to make mistakes. So, you know, in, in, even if they're in the offensive end, and if you look at it, Jake's turnovers are, are rarely in his own end. Jake's turnovers tend to be in the other teams and maybe sometimes in the neutral zone, but in the other teams end that lead to rushes coming back at you, at the flyers with speed. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe some of the players, other players in the room, maybe they don't particularly like that, you know, um, that Jake has that flexibility to his game. Whereas if they make a mistake in the, in the offensive zone, they're going to be moved down the lineup, rooted to the bench, a healthy scratch, you know, that kind of thing. And you can understand yep. why the resentment's there. And then Jake's not the most, you know, lovable guy. So, you know, maybe if Jake's got a little bit more of an attitude of, you know, I'm, I've been in the league for 12 years. Don't tell me how to play. You've, you've been in the league two years kind of thing, you know, and, and we know Russ, you know, we're in separate generations, but we know um, that this next generation below us, um, even they're a little bit more, you know, challenging the status quo than either your generation or my generation was. Um, I think that they, they, you know, they want to know why they want to know why Jake Voracek can play that way and why they can't, 
you know, and if they don't get an answer that they like, they're going to be pissed off about it. So, yeah, I think that there's, there's an element of that, that you know, um, I think that what, well, let, well, well let's pause I, that I, before one second, before I think what Kipper's referring to might be a little bit deep, more deep seated than that. But I think that at least from what I've at first been able to uncover that I can talk about, I think that's kind of, you know, that where, where there's a little bit of resentment. So I guess there are a few things to this, right? Because I, I would encourage people, actually, I, I think that like a, a really solid piece of audio on this is when we sat down with Scott Gordon, when he was the interim coach of this team. And some people might be like, people who are newer to the show, might be like, why would I go back and listen to that? Because Scott Gordon talked about the way that he had to kind of go back to basics and learning how to talk to this newer crop of players in terms of justifying or at least explaining to some extent why certain decisions are made the way they are. And I can tell you from working with youth, like, yes, that is a thing. It doesn't have to be a negative. Like, I feel like so often the, the, the idea here is, you know, you should just shut up and play, right? It is fair to ask why something is being done or what the rationale is behind it. It's not just that you're asking because you want to complain. It's asking because you want context and context is critical in a lot of different facets of your life. So if you're a player, so and just just like, give just to give the people just before I forget, because I yeah. did look it up. This was one of the reasons I was pulling this this up because I I was going to talk about Scott Gordon. I think that I'm glad you did. Um, it was episode thirty two, the date February seventeenth, twenty nineteen. So, one of the things that I, like I think people just have to kind of wrap their head around, and like there's there's this whole concept that like there's this entitlement generation. Fine, if you want to argue that you can, but there's nothing wrong. Like if I. If you're Joel Farabee, right, you're leading the team in goals. Uh, you were having a, a really exceptional season through the first month and a half of the season, right? And then maybe you made a couple of mistakes that you have seen Jake Voracek make time and time again. And then you sit back and you realize, I'm getting demoted. I'm constantly getting pushed down. My ice time is getting cut. And like, sure, I'm not an eight-year vet in the league. But like... Why am I the one that's getting killed, especially if I'm playing in good form? Why am I getting crushed on this when this guy's allowed to pretty much do whatever he wants? Now, I would also point, here's my, my cross-sport comparison of the day. Doc Rivers, the Sixers coach, was asked um, around the time that he was hired about what had been alleged was preferential treatment of his star players when he was the Clippers coach. And he had admitted that, yes, star players get different treatment. Now, the NBA and NHL are obviously very different leagues. We can get into like the, the 7 million different reasons between the two. But the one thing that stands is star players are inherently going to get different treatment. It doesn't mean that it's right. It doesn't mean that it's wrong. It doesn't mean that because you've paid your dues or that you've had success that you deserve that. But if a coach decides that that's how they're going to run their team, as a younger player, you have to understand that. As a role player who's even a veteran, you have to understand that. You can challenge it, but it doesn't mean that it's going to work. Now, from my vantage point, when, when I watch this team, I don't think that that's it. Like, I think that's part of it. There are a couple of, of what I feel like have been breadcrumbs left behind by others that point to a much bigger issue with this team. And I don't think it's all just an on-ice thing. I do think that there's something going on off the ice with this team where there is a division that has been sowed. Follow me on this. Go ahead. 
through the bubble, there were conversations had about where certain guys are in their lives, whether it's the fathers on the team, whether it's the married guys on the team who have, you know, been married and have been in the league for long enough where you kind of go through the trials and tribulations to your marriage that being a professional athlete can be. And then when we were coming back into the season and like the idea of the bubble was brought up a big, you know, it, it kind of created this chasm and it kind of created this like um, interesting dichotomy between the, the, the players who kind of fit into the, the, the single and young and like want to live their lives group and the, the veterans who have families. And I still think that that's a thing. Like I still have a hard time believing that everybody on this team who is not locked in a bubble is going about their lives the same way. And like, if you think about in your own family or friends, if people who are listening, you might have some friends who've been like practically locked down in their houses for over a year. And you might have friends who have been going down the shore or have been going out to bars as soon as, as possible. And it doesn't mean that one group was right. It doesn't mean that one group was wrong, but it means that that's just how people are. And I wonder if there could be something to the notion that some guys are really kind of hunkering down with their families and are approaching this whole situation one way and that some of the other guys might not be or that some of the guys on this team are looking at the clock on their career and are realizing there's not much left or there's not much of prime left. And then there's these other guys who are like, well, we'll eventually get to it. It's a weird year. We're just going to throw it out anyway. To me, there is more to what's going on with this team because of off ice issues than necessarily what's happening on ice. Your thoughts. That's a great point, Russ, because if you listen back to Chuck Fletcher's availability, um, when he spoke to us, before the deadline, not the deadline availability, but the one before that, which was, uh, I don't know, a week and a half before the deadline. Um, one of the things that he said, one of his lines was, some teams have, hand- have handled this pandemic better than others. And you kind of, you know, you were kind of wondering at the time, well, what does he mean by that? You know, like everybody's got the same, you know, kind of schedule. Some teams got a some teams that had that pause and had to throw in, you know, rescheduled games, maybe got a little bit more of a shaft. And yeah, the Flyers were one of, you know, a handful of teams that had that. But I mean, really, even if even if they didn't, if they weren't playing six and nine, they were playing five and nine. Like, so there's really only like one more game here or there that really kind of affected the Flyers and the Devils and the Avalanche. And, you know, I mean, geez, look at what the poor Vancouver Canucks have to do uh, here. At horrible, the season. horrible right. stuff. Yeah. GT, uh, yeah. JT today. That was horrible stuff yeah really bad. they they sh- they honestly should just shut down they should it sounds like it sounds like those players want to shut down there is no reason for them to come back they're risking legitimate injury they're they're risking a lot of of yeah. not great stuff and i'm sure that yeah. they're wh- whatever we could dive into that but we probably shouldn't right yeah now. but no, but my, my point is is that so everybody was kind of facing the same thing no practice time you know you you, you all have the same restrictions you can't go out on the road blah 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 so why, why did some teams handle it better than others? And I think that you kind of found the crux of that in that it, it's, more, it's more that what was going on when they were here and say some guys felt the need to, you know, stay in with because they have families or young children or whatever and, you know, not, you know, stick to the, the, the quarantine. Whereas other guys who were maybe, you know, single young guys with, you know, 
nothing to worry about, no cares in the world. You know, maybe they're like, man, as soon as those restaurants open, we're, we're, at, we're there, we're out to the bar, we're out to whatever, wherever, or going over somebody else's place and kind of hanging out and, and having a good time. And maybe that added an extra level of frustration within the locker room. Because it's one thing to, you know, it's one thing to be a, you know, a guy who's a family guy and doesn't go out and party in, you know, in normal times. And then you have other guys in the room who are, you know, out partying all night long. And you remember the whole dry island thing we went through with the Mike Richards, Jeff Carter, you know, Joffrey Lupul, that crew, right? I mean, the party guys versus the non-party guys. Um, and they were able to find their way through it. I mean, there was conflict between the coach and the captain, but you know, the team, that locker room was able to kind of come together and hell, they, they made a run to the cup, Stanley Cup final. Um, but I think maybe if you add in the, hey, you're not being responsible and you're putting not just me, but my family at risk by being selfish and going out when we're asking you not to, I think maybe that could fray the nerves just a little bit more. And maybe that's what Chuck was referring to, that some teams handled COVID better than others. And maybe this Flyers team didn't handle it well. And then I guess the question also then becomes, you know, the, if we're, if we're going to split these, all right, we're not going to say that these are our guaranteed names. We're not going to say that these are definitely people who are involved in either camp, but like if I'm a Brian Elliott, if I'm a Justin Braun, if I'm a Claude Giroux, maybe even a James Van Riemsdyk, they've all got kids of, of different ages all married guys who, uh, you know, had to be away from their families in the bubble who wanted to make sure this league doesn't shut, you know, didn't have to close its doors for a while. All of whom are at a place in their career where there aren't that many years left of, you know, prime ish or end of prime ish years. If you want to say that's where Giroux is or flat out years left in their NHL careers, which I think you could say about Braun and Elliot. If, if I had made that sacrifice, and if I were continuing to make that sacrifice because I don't want to run the risk of, you know, bringing infection home to my spouse or to my parents or to my in-laws who might be watching our kids. Like if I found out that some of the other guys, the single guys on the team were out at bars, were out or at like somebody's place and having people over, having, you know, for all intents and purposes, strangers over or extended groups of friends over and they were partying and doing God knows what else I'd be pissed because I would, I would sit there saying you are running a legitimate risk. You are being selfish in a sense, and you are now putting our season in jeopardy. And by the way, our season got shut down once, right? Which is the thing that I think has thrown if, if nothing else, the COVID break that this team went through was a thing that they've just never recovered from. And I do wonder how many of the guys that ended up testing positive have just been unable to overcome the effects. You wonder if there are lingering effects of COVID on these players. It has happened in sports. Jason Tatum, the Celtics um, player, you know, mentioned that he's been taking an inhaler before every game now, which he never had to do before. So like, it is possible that even with guys that are as well-conditioned and young and everything as, as these players are, it's possible that they're feeling effects. So if you know all that, to then still be going out and doing God knows what, I, I could understand why there would be a riff. And, you know, if you're listening to this and you think that that's ridiculous, that's fine. You can have that opinion. If you think that that's totally spot on and you'd be pissed too, that's also fine. You can have that opinion. 
But like, I think it's pretty safe to say that if this is what's happening, and I think that you and I are are smartened up enough to to believe that this could potentially be happening. Sure. Um, there's where your season's at. There is enough of a reason why this team has struggled because if you are not a cohesive unit in the locker room and then you go out on the, the ice and you're consistently falling behind in games and you can consistently point to people not looking as if they are giving 100% effort 100% of the time or guys mentally are not prepared or maybe even physically are not prepared, that is a problem and it will create a rip and it will manifest itself on the ice. Hence, you can go from being one of the best teams in theory going into the season or even playing early in the season to this garbage effort that we have seen, this garbage set of results that we've seen now for a month and a half. Yeah. Now, I, 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 Russ, I can't disagree with you at all. Um, this might be your finest hour in, in 128 episodes of this podcast. Um, by the way, I did count. So we're at 128 if you want to start numbering them again. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, this might be your finest moment. Um, but no, and all joking aside, I mean, I, I, you, you know, you're onto something here. And it's very, it's probably why we hear the excuses that we've heard. And while we don't want to accept them as excuses for bad play, because they're really not good excuses for bad play, it can certainly be a good excuse or not even excuse, but a good explanation as for why the focus is not where it needs to be. Yeah. So there's, so there's a slight difference there, right? I mean, you know, you're not going to sit there and say that, Oh, well, you know, they were, the guys are still dealing with stuff from COVID. Oh, you know, they never, they didn't practice. They didn't get back into shape, blah, blah, blah. And that's why they stink. And nobody wants to hear that. But maybe this all kind of comes together as to why they are having a hard enough time communicating together, why they're having a hard time, you know, being around each other and not being mad at one another and then have to go out there and, and be teammates, right, and try and win games. And then as soon as something goes wrong, immediately the fingers start getting pointed. You know, and, and you hear people say all the time, you know, hey, if you've got that problem, you got to keep it in house. You can't let it get out. You can't let it become public. And then, you know, you see, um, I mean, it goes back to the beginning of the season, even pre the, the pre-COVID pause this season, you know, Carter Hart smashing his stick across the, the goal crease, uh, across the, uh, uh, the, 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 the goal, the goal post. Um, and then uh, Sean Couturier does it the other night, and Brian Elliott storms off after a loss one game, doesn't even acknowledge his teammates. And, you know, these things are going to manifest themselves a little bit, you know? Yep. Um, and, and I can guarantee you another thing, when we're, you know, we're doing these post-game Zoom calls, or they're not Zoom, they're WebEx, whatever the Flyers use. Cisco WebEx. Cisco WebEx. Um and we're doing them. And, you know, usually, usually Vino, I mean, Vino's always first, but he's usually pretty quick. I mean, usually within five, five to seven minutes, we get him yeah. after a game is over. Um, but there have been a few times where we've had a delay for players. And, you know, you could sit there and say, oh, well, you know, the players are just being, they don't want to come out and talk. And that's what they're dragging their feet. And sometimes that, that very well could be the case, especially when a team is losing. Um, but it could also very well be the fact that those players are sitting in that locker room 
giving it to each other a little bit, you know? I mean, and that could be part of the reason why we're, and we're not, we're none the wiser. We're just sitting here on a computer screen, you know, waiting to, waiting to talk to somebody for all of two minutes. And then that's it. I mean, you know, it, it's a lot harder to be, a, to be us these days. And I'm not trying to, you know, oh, woe is me. Um, I still think we get plenty of good stuff out there. Um, but, it, you know, we don't, we don't really know. So we're left to try and, like I said earlier, try and get some breadcrumbs, try and put pieces together, try and add up the, you know, add two and two and see if we, if we get four um, and, and then make an educated speculation uh, sometimes. And, 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 you know, and knowing that there are things that we've also heard that we haven't verified yet that kind of would maybe play into this a little bit. Um, so those things are, are there too. So that, that's why we present it the way we do. And if, if, if we're right, well, damn this team. Damn them. Damn them for not just for screwing up their season and screwing up, um, you know, making it miserable for fans, but damn them for just not thinking of their own teammates, not thinking of the families of their teammates, right? I mean, just be smart. You know, we're not, you're not being asked a lot. I mean, look, as someone who suffered through this, right, as I went through, through, through COVID, and I'll, be, I'll tell everyone, and I'll tell them, I'll say both ends, pre, pre my condition, pre going into the hospital, I was one of the people who was, if I had an opportunity to go to a restaurant for dinner, I would. I'd wear my mask. I we'd make sure our table was socially distanced. We did all the right things. We followed the protocols. Even after coming out of the hospital, once I was allowed to leave my house and, and, and go outside again, I went right back to it. Like I did it again. Like, so I'm one of those people who who mm. doesn't want to be sheltered in the house all the time. Okay. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm not being an idiot about it, right? I'm I'm making sure that. You know, hey, when we go, you know, we got to do it this way. And this is where we got we got to make sure that, you know, we're sitting here and, you know, we're not near a bunch of other people. If there's a wait, we wait in the car kind of thing. Like, not like we're doing it the right way, but we're also not, you know, locking ourselves into, into our homes. Well, that's all that they're being asked to do is do it the right way. And if you're if you're gathering somewhere where you shouldn't be gathering, you know, like some private upstairs room uh, uh, somewhere uh, on top of a restaurant or, you know, even at somebody's apartment, um, whatever the case might be, and having little get togethers and, you know, hanging out with people who aren't involved, you know, aren't in your team bubble. Well, damn you. Damn you, because you're doing it wrong. You can't control yourself enough that for the the, 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 the short period of time that is this hockey season that you're getting paid handsomely for, most of you in the, in the millions of dollars, some people are just under that, but geez, still talking high six-figure salaries, that, that if you can't control yourself enough to you know, do what has to be done for those few months while you're playing hockey and then worry about all your partying and stuff in the offseason, well, then who, we don't want you. I mean, that's really the philosophy here, right? And so when you hear, you know, Keith Jones go on TV and say that this is a, this is a total disaster and it needs a major overhaul, and, and you hear uh, Nick Kipros on our show say that there's a, the, the problem is in the locker room and that they need to make major changes and, you know, and, you know, other people saying the same thing. 
don't blame the leaders. Don't blame the coaches. Don't blame the general manager. Look deeper into it and sit there and say, this is a group of 25 guys. And somewhere within this group, somebody's not doing something that they're supposed to do. And, and that's not necessarily an on ice thing. It's off ice. And then you sit there and say, those are the guys that you need to, that you really need to point the finger at for why this season has gone to shit. Ah, I like this. We both get fired up and instead of being at each other, they got me to curse. They got you to curse on the show. I don't curse ever on the show. That's what crossed up is for. That's, you know, you and Wankel, you and Wankel can curse at each other or curse about the Phillies, but like we don't do it on it. Yeah, it's fine. So, um, wow. There's a lot to take away from that. Um, some breadcrumbs of your own. Um, (laughs) so where to go? Um, let me, let me throw this out to you Mm. because I don't want this to be like a class battle. I don't want this to be an age battle. Conceptually, if you're Elaine Vigneault and you know this is going on because you would, I can't imagine that you can't know any of this is going on, right? has to know, yes. Do you start penalizing some of the players that are involved in the shenanigans? Like, you obviously have to time it in a way that it looks like it's a hockey decision, but like, can you start going after some of those guys, going after their ice time? Is that being petty? Is that being arbitrary? Perhaps it's already happened. But like, are these things that a coach has the right to do? Yes, but it's he has the right to do it. But what, where it becomes hard, Russ, is that he's limited because there's only so many options that you have. I mean, you know, you you really only usually carry one or two extra forwards and one extra defenseman. And, you know, if you want to, if you want to send a message and sit some people down, well, you really only have a couple guys that you can plug in there. And then you sit there and say to yourself, what's my goal here to teach a lesson to, to these guys or to, win win games. I mean, ultimately it's to win. And sometimes teaching the message is part of that winning process, right? But but you have to really weigh it, especially in a season where you're shortened and you only have 56 games and every game is in a division. So everything's more paramount. It's harder to, to dole out those punishments. Um, and I think maybe they've tried in a couple instances. I mean, you, you look, there have been times when you know, guys have just sat for a period or guys were pulled out of the lineup and you're like, why was he a healthy scratch, you know, or why has he mm-hmm. been struggling this year? You know, those kinds of things that you don't understand. And maybe that's it. I mean, maybe that's, you know, what Vino's doing. Um, and he's tried, look, <laughs> he's tried it all, man. He's tried it all. He tried it. He's tried it. He's tried tough love with, with Carter Hart. He's tried, um, you know, benching guys. He's juggled lines. He's moved people in and around and everywhere. And he's doing it all without, you know, he's one of those guys who loves to have a practice. Like he's one of those coaches that loves to teach the game and practice and get everything fixed in practice. And if he's had 10 practices this season, that's a lot, right? So, I mean, I think he's, he's going to every length he can. Um, and I think that's why Chuck Fletcher was so adamant to say, no, nah, he's not going anywhere, nor is assistance. This is about yeah. players, right? This is about players and how the players have handled this situation or not handled this situation. And that's why you're going to see the turnover that you're going to see this summer. 
allow me to go back to your rant for a second. What what should a fan feel like if um, like what if it's not just young kids? Like what if there's a vet who's doing the same stuff? Like can you Damn, damn them even more? Because wouldn't this kind of go back to something that we talked about last week, which is the toxicity that could exist and why you wouldn't want your younger players to be caught up in some of the other nonsense that's going on. Like if there's a veteran on this team who might even be like a quasi ringleader of what's going on, what do you as an organization do? Like, what can you do? There's not, and there's not really anything you can do, Russ. I mean, it's, especially if it's somebody who's got, you know, a big, big time contract, right? I mean, there's, there's not a lot you can do in that, in that situation. Um, If it's a veteran who's, you know, not on a big time contract, who's here for a year or whatever, you get rid of them, you know, you you bench them and say, all right, you're done. You try and trade them. If you can't, they just ride the pine or, you know, healthy scratches. I mean, there's different ways to go about it, but I mean, if you're talking about a player who, especially in this era, who's got um, term and money left on that contract and, and you can't really move them and they're part of the problem. Well, then you're going to have to, you're going to have to figure out a way to you know keep them going uh, and get them right. And you have to do that internally. And, you know, I don't, I'm not saying that that's the case here, but man, if that, if that's a problem, if you've got, if you have a hypothetically, hypothetically, if you have a vet, if you have a veteran ringleader for this, Man, that's that's tough. That's tough to deal with, you know. I mean, there were there was a lot of people who felt back in the day when we had the uh, the Richards Carter situation that Scott Hartnell was that ringleader, that veteran ringleader of a young of the younger guys. Um, and there was no doubt that you know Hartnell was a little bit older than those guys. Uh, that Hartnell was a guy who lived in the city. He was one of the first guys to live in Philly. Um, you know, he was you know always had guys over. There was a lot of party. A little bit goofy, brought yeah. a lot of levity to the, yeah, right, to the group. But, right. I mean, so Hartnell was – and if you remember correctly, even in that year, 2009, 2010, was Hartnell's worst year ever, I mean, as a player. He was just god-awful during the regular season. Um, and he had been through a lot. I mean, he was going through a divorce at the time. Um, you know, there was, there was a lot going on. But, you know, there was a, concern, a real concern that here's a veteran guy – who's maybe leading the younger players the wrong down the wrong path. Now, to Scott Hartnell's credit, he really stepped it up in the, you know, in the playoffs. He became a, you know, one of the star players with Briere and Vili Leno. That line was unbelievable during that 2010 playoff run. And then even after that, when he came back, Hartnell was a guy who you can just look at who was going to work his tail off game in, game out, um, and really became a, a, a good veteran leader. It was almost like that something needed to click for him, and, and it happened. So if you have a situation where you have a player like that now, maybe that's you know, they need to, maybe they need to sink to the Scott Hartnell level to realize, damn, my career could be over soon if I don't, if I don't fix this and then get back to playing the way that they need to play. All right. Well, there we are. We've, uh, we've fixed all the problems with the team. I'm, I'm glad that we had this moment. This is good. That's all good. It's all good. Just so you know, as we're, as we're sitting here, right. And you know, there's a lot of noise in the background behind me. I'm sure you heard it. You know, I haven't Mar- really heard much now. Oh, really? You didn't hear Maria walk in, you know, you know, no. unlock the door, slam the door behind her, drop no. some books on the table here right in front of me. She puts up with you. She's a saint. You don't have the right. You need to stop. 
She comes over as we're sitting here talking, opens the pizza box, which is literally right next to the computer. You know, I want some pizza. Ask me if she can have a slice. Like, like you know, this is really professional. <laughs> I want some pizza. Why was I not brought pizza? Now I'm upset. Well, can we record the show to get? Can we record the show together at some point just so I can have pizza? Like, I'd be okay with that. Russ, as soon as as soon as uh, I guess I'm officially vaccinated. I think we can get together, have pizza, and record together. Okay, I did get my second shot. I know boy, you was did. The six, boy was the sixteen-hour Marco. Uh, you know what? It was a pain not in the great. ass, huh? Not good it for was you. Not huh? great. Not great. Better than getting the virus. Not an enjoyable, uh, you know, day after the second dose, but it's okay. Yeah, I'm not eligible. I'm now. I am now um, eight days away from eligibility before I can. You're so close. I'm getting there. You're so close. Yeah. Look at you. Look at you. All right. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Because I feel I feel better. I think that people, when they listen to the show, are going to feel better. I don't know if they're going to feel better. Um, <laughs> I think maybe they'll feel just as fired up. Like maybe we can. I, people are going to start obviously guessing what players we might have been talking about. We are neither going to confirm nor deny that we have any knowledge of anything going on, nor that we were alluding to anybody specifically or any places specifically. But maybe that'll give people a little bit of context. Right. Of course, it was all hypothetical, though. Of course it was. Of course. Of course. Is that why you were referencing pizza? Just curious. Anyway. Um, <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> so so uh, next week, Russ. <laughs> next week. So next week's show, uh, assuming that this person who, um, it's the second time they've committed to doing the show. It's not Mike Keenan. Assuming this person sits down with us when we are supposed to sit down with him. Uh, he will be one heck of a name to follow up after Nick Kiprios. It will be a name that people will be very excited to see, and I'm sure this guy will have a ton of things to say. So I, for one, am looking forward to it, assuming it happens. We won't make that announcement. I know you announced it on another show, but we're going we're gonna to hold back a second because I don't need to deal with the fallout if this person Keenan's us. We don't need that, okay? Keenan's so you made that I, am looking forward, I am looking forward to it, a verb. A I'm verb. looking forward to <laughs> it. The verb. Uh, I am looking forward to it. I'm hoping things work out the way they're supposed to. Um, but that that's where we're at. The, we don't have to talk about what's going to happen in the next week. The the team has no shot at the postseason. There are issues. I did want to get before we leave here, because obviously like this, this did happen. The trade deadline came and passed. Gustafson's out for a seventh round pick. They returned, re- retained 50% of his salary. Um, they also dealt Michael Roffle, who, I think we actually brought up last week because it was around the time that we were talking about Scott Lawton potentially going. And I said, well, he'd have to get signed in the next week for it to make sense. It would be kind of like the raffle thing. And then lo and behold, raffle gets traded and Lawton and Lawton Lawton gets the, uh, the late season signing. Um, I, I don't think we have anything negative to say about any of those moves. I would maybe question the term on Lawton, but bringing him back certainly like when the new money, the new TV money comes in, that contract is going to look like a, an absolute steal in theory. If he, if he continues at this, you know, trajectory years, three, four, five should be an absolute steal on that deal. Once the cap goes up, um, is there anything negative to be said about those moves? No. And I think that that was part of it. I think that was, you know, I think Scott Lawton agreed to take less money each year to get five years here. Um, yeah. And, and really, like you just said, by the time, you know, and Scott Lawton's 26, it's not like he's 30, right? So yep. he did, this deal won't expire till he's 31. 
Um, and by that point, a, even if he's just still a third line player, $3 million for a third line forward is going to be peanuts in five years. It's peanuts. So it, it's, it's, a, it's a good deal for the team as well. So yeah, no, and, and getting anything at all for Eric Gustafson, even if it's a seventh round pick in 2022, um, is a win. Um, yep. And I, you know, I thought maybe Raffle might be worth a little bit more just because of his versatility. But I guess the fact that he's hurt and he's going to miss a couple weeks here before he can play for the Capitals probably diminished what the Flyers could get a little bit out of him. Um, obviously, the Caps are are just adding him for the playoffs, uh, so a fifth round pick, you know, it's fine. And hey, you never, you know, Flyers also- have had. Flyers have had luck with fifth rounders in the past. Look at Oscar Lindblom for that matter, right? It also kind of frees up the the spot in the lineup too, right? For a Lisinski or or a Wade Allison, which is what appears is going to happen is they're going to try to get those two in the lineup as much as possible here down the stretch, get a, an idea of where they could fit in the plans and of course give them some actual regular season reps in a season that is now lost. So why not? It, it certainly does not hurt. Um, I know that we've, we've brought up Igor Zamula and we've brought up uh, Cam York in the past. Do you think that this could be the week that we see either one of them, or do you think we're still two weeks away? Well, the, the whole problem is, is that the Phantoms have had um, COVID issues. So mm-hmm. Cam York hasn't made his debut down there. And I think that they want him, want him to play a couple pro games before he comes up um, to the big club. So I don't think it'll be this week, um, but there's still time. To, you got to remember, Russ, there's still four weeks of this freaking season left uh, <laughs> what did i say i said 42 games down and 58 to go or something like that right um and i know you no, were joking saying like a 100 game season but like there were yeah. a few people who are like wait a second i that, that math doesn't work out yeah. math don't work. um but no there's 14 there's 14 games left i think if york and zamula can get you know seven nhl games five to seven nhl games i think that the flyers would be happy with that um, so I think that that's kind of where you're looking maybe later this month, beginning of May kind of, re- you know, play games against the devils that, you know, don't really have any playoff implications. Um, they play the devils, what, four in a row or three in a row there it, it, towards the end of the season. I think those are the games that you're probably going to see these guys come up and get an opportunity. Well, I think that's probably a good place to end it. I don't think we missed out on any big news that's happened with this team. Um, a big thank you to everybody for listening. As always, make sure you go subscribe on Apple Podcasts. We're on Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. You can find Snow the Goalie. Make sure you tell a friend or a member of your family about the show. Of course, I believe that at some point this week, we'll be back down there together to do a press row show together uh, from quote unquote press row of Wells Fargo Center, um, perhaps even one of the games this weekend. Um, but we'll talk about that. We'll of course announce that over on uh, Twitter. Make sure that you follow us on Twitter at snow, the goalie, of course, at Ant San Philly at joy on broad. We're also under those names on Instagram and facebook.com slash snow, the goalie. All of those links are available in the episode description. So regardless of the app that you're listening to this on or the site that you pulled this up on, you should be able to, in the episode description, find those and click on them and uh, follow us over on social media. I believe that in the episode description as well, there's the uh, Love This Podcast link. And if you click on that, it'll redirect you to the native app on your phone or device for you to be able to leave a five-star review. We are now at, I believe, 171 five-star ratings. I don't remember how many we had last week. We're at 171. We're at 136 five-star reviews. We said that once we get to 200, we're going to do a big giveaway. So make sure that if you haven't left a five-star review yet, that you do so. The ratings are great. 
but it's going to be very hard to track down people on ratings alone. So make sure you leave a five-star review. It makes Anthony happy. Heck, I'll even admit it sometimes even makes me happy. So make sure you go leave a review. And uh, thanks for listening. Make sure you follow us. And uh, Anthony, I think next week is going to be a doozy. Could be. Could be a big doozy. Or it could be a, a big dookie if he doesn't show up. <laughs> thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. See you later.